love that line. Is she having adolescence? I mean, what is that exactly? Well, welcome to Rock Harbor today. My name is Scott, and it's my privilege to share with you uh, just a little bit today as we continue our series. And today we're looking at Incredibles 2, and we're going to be talking about family and what that looks like. And as you watch Incredibles 2, um, you realize it is about family, and I think they put some of the fun like in dysfunction, right? I mean, there's just all kinds of different themes that are going throughout. So we're going to look at some clips today from the movie as, uh, as we kind of dive in. A few months ago, I read a story about a 16-year-old boy. Uh, he was almost 16, actually, getting ready to get his driver's license. And that's kind of a, a rite of passage. It's something we look forward to, getting that driver's license and start driving. And so he went to his dad and he said, Dad, um, I'd like to get my driver's license on my birthday. Would that be possible? His dad said, well, son, you know, there's three things I think you need to do in order to get your driver's license on your birthday. He said, your son, your room, it's a wreck. I mean, that thing looks like a disaster waste zone. If you could get that room clean, keep it clean, we can talk about it. Second thing we'd like for you to do is, is to work on your grades a little bit. We know that, that you're capable of better work. Um, you probably never have heard that as a parent, that your child is capable of better work, but maybe you have. Maybe my parents heard it a lot, but capable of better work. And if you want to apply yourself, get a little better grades, then maybe uh, we can look at that. And the third thing that we need you to do is, son, you have, you have a lot of hair. I mean, it's like, it's a mop. And we really would like for you to get a haircut. If you could do those three things, we'll take you down to the DMV and get you your license. And son thought, great, no problem at all. And so fast forward a few months, it's his birthday. He goes to dad. He says, dad, I'm ready to get my license. He said, well, son, I want to tell you this, your room it's amazing. I don't know what happened, but you like, you're able to clean things now. And we're really excited about that. Thank you so much for keeping your room clean. Son, your grades have come way up and you're, you're doing much better work. We're excited for you. Thank you for actually applying yourself and doing better. But there's one area that you haven't fixed and that's your hair. Son, your hair's long. It's nappy and you really need a haircut. He said, come on, dad. I mean, you got to get with the times. This is what's in style today. I want to have longer hair. I like having longer hair and that's what I want to have. And he said, son, either you get your haircut or you're not going to get your license. And the son thought for a second. He said, you know what, dad? He said, Jesus, he had long hair. I think I should be able to have long hair. His dad said, son, you are right. Jesus did have long hair and Jesus also walked everywhere. Careful what you wish for, right? Well, today as we're talking about family, um, hopefully this will relate to all of us because we all have some kind of a family. Either we're a son, maybe we're a daughter, um, maybe we're a parent, uh, maybe we're a grandparent, but all of us have some kind of a family. And probably all of us, when we think about family, we, we want it to be as good as it possibly can be. You know, if you have children, and maybe if you don't have children, you can think about what your parents would think. When you have children, you have these dreams. You have these aspirations, these desires that you look forward to for your kids one day. And you think, man, this is going to be amazing. They're going to be great kids, and we're going to have a lot of fun together as a family. And, and then life begins to happen, and maybe things, maybe they don't turn out quite like you thought that it might. Maybe you're a child, and you're in a family, and maybe your family hasn't been everything that you hoped that it would be. Maybe it hasn't been everything that you dreamed it would be. Maybe someday you're going to have a family. And so hopefully today this will relate to all of us. And today we're going to kind of walk through a story of a guy named David. And probably most of us have, have heard about David before. And most of the time when we talk about David, it's from all the amazing accomplishments that David did in his life. We're going to talk about the story of, of, of David and some of his children, which is a story we don't talk about a whole lot. And we're going to look at 2 Samuel's, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 19. 
okay? 13 through 19, and it's seven chapters, and we're not going to read all seven chapters today. Um, if we were to do that, you would be out of here by like chapter like 13 or 14 or 15 if I was just reading it. So I'm going to kind of just tell the story today. But this is what I want to encourage you with. I want to encourage you to go home maybe later today or, or this week and just read this story. Read all seven chapters. Take a chapter a day and just kind of read the story, and you'll see the picture of what we're going to be talking about today and talking about family. I think if you look at David's life and his, his story with his children, we're going to learn three different things where David made some mistakes. He did a lot of things very, very well. But when it came to family, there were three things that we're going to look at that David could have changed. And as we get to the end, we're going to realize, man, I think he wished he would have changed some of those things. The first mistake that we see that David made is that he didn't give his, his children the gift of time. In 2 Samuel chapter 3 through verse about chapter 12, or like 20 years go by, and never once do we hear David say anything about his kids at all. If David had an office, I believe there'd be like five plaques hanging in his office. I think one plaque would read something like this. He was a remarkable military leader, amazing at organizing troops. He was also a world-class political leader. He was a genius at political affairs and drawing different nations together and getting people to rally around something or a cause. And he was also an, an incredible builder of cities. But I think the fifth plaque would say something like this. He was a failure as a father. He did many things very, very, very well. But when it came to this whole idea of being a father, this is an area that he definitely struggled in. David had several children, and today we're going to talk about Absalom and some of his, his brothers and sisters and what they went through. And Absalom and his brothers and sisters, they definitely had a father, but I think all of them would say they didn't really have a dad. They didn't have somebody that they could rely on, that could be there for them, that they so desperately wanted. And I think one of the worst things we can do today as a parent or a grandparent or even as a child is to be emotionally disconnected or detached from our family. That's a difficult thing to go through. And I would imagine in a crowd of this size that there are some of us who are emotionally detached from, from our family and it's not what any of us want. None of us want to go down that road. No mom or dad has a child that thinks, one day I hope I'm emotionally detached from my children. There's no child that thinks, you know, one day I hope I'm emotionally detached from my grandma or my grandpa or my dad or my mom or my brother or my sister. Nobody sets out that way, but life happens and it can get difficult. And unfortunately, sometimes for us, we begin to chase the wrong things. You know, nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that we should lay down our life for our stock options. Nowhere does it tell us that we should lay down our life for, for wealth. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 15, verse 27. It says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that, that we should lay down our life for our career. But Jesus says this in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse number 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. Husbands, we're to love our wives. That's what we're supposed to do when we think about, about moms today. Man, it's amazing what moms do. The important role that, that the parental unit is together. And I think about my own family in particular and, and how great of a mom I had. Sometimes moms are like, they're like Elastigirl in the movie. I know, it's a stretch. But I'm bump, awful. It's awful. Please don't stone me for that, right? 
Elastigirl just is, she's there. She's, she's just holding everything together. And oftentimes, that's what moms do. They hold the whole thing together. What an important role that, that mom and dad, they play together, but especially mom, just making sure the family all works together. I, I remember when I was growing up and, and I got married and, and my wife and I were talking and we had kids and, and all of a sudden I was working more than I should be because I like to work and sometimes I think it's just, it's a gene that I got from my family. It's like you just work six, seven days a week. It's just kind of what you do. And, and one time my wife and I were having a conversation about that and she's like, you know, you have a family. You need to be home with the kids more. And I'm like, you're right, I do. And thank the Lord I have a good wife who understood that she needed to talk to me about those kind of things because I find identity in certain things and I have issues. And I know you guys don't have any of those. That's awesome. But I do. So she's talking to me about that. And I mean, my wife and I, we've been married for, for 23 years and 20 really good ones. And the other three years, she was just holding things together, right? I mean, that's what wives do. They hold the thing together and so grateful for her. But that's kind of the role that, that moms play in that. And, and as husbands, we need to come around that and listen to where we're going. And if David would have listened to some other people, I think that he would have got to a much different place in his life. You see, we are not instructed to perform for our families and to love our jobs. We're instructed to love our families and to do our jobs. We're not instructed to perform for our families and to love our jobs. We are instructed to love our families and to do our jobs. Our identity is not to be found in our work. And guys, this can be a struggle for us sometimes. It's like, well, this is what I do. That's not who you are. Whose we are is who we are in Jesus, right? But we can get this mixed up so often. Kenneth Brown, in his book, Timely Insights into Timeless Truths, he, he tells about a, a father-son prayer breakfast that he was going to. And he asked the question to some sons. He said, what's the one question you wish you could ask your father that you never had? Interesting thought. What's the one question you wish you could ask your dad that you never have asked him? And so this week, I, I texted my son, because that's how we communicate. Super tight. I said, hey, what's the one question you, you never asked me that you wish you could? He gave me three. He's always been an overachiever, right? He said, number one, dad, I'd like to ask you this question. Why have you moved me so much? He was born in Washington. He lived there for about two years. And he moved to Missouri, there for about seven. Moved to New Mexico, was for there about seven. And he's been in Idaho for two and a half years. Why have you moved me so much, Dad? Second question was this. Why don't we go out to lunch, just you and I, more often and spend time together? Now, I'm not sure what the motive behind that question was. I don't know if it's because he just wanted a free meal or because he really wanted to spend time with his dad, right? But I'll take it either way. I'll take it either way. He got lunch out of it this week. It was a smart question for him. Like, it was pretty good. He'll get it more often because he said it, right? The third thing he said was not a question, but it was a statement. This is what he said. I think it's important that you always check up on me, because I don't know where I'd be if you didn't. Hmm. 18-year-old kid. I don't know where you'd be if you didn't. There's times I get myself too busy. There's times I pour myself into things that don't matter to try to impress people I don't even know. There's times that we go down roads that we really shouldn't. I think David struggled with the same exact thing. He got so busy doing the work that he thought he should do that 
He forgot about the kind of parent that he wanted to be. I read a story a few months ago about a five-year-old boy who his dad was coming home from work, and he was super excited about it. And he loved when his dad came home. And his dad walks in the door and kind of just walks right by the little boy. And dad says, Dad, 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 I got a question for you. He said, Dad, I, I want to know how much money do you make an hour? The dad's like, what are you asking me that question for? I mean, why are you asking me how much money I make an hour? And so he just kind of brushes him off and goes into the kitchen and, and does some more things. And finally, the little boy wraps back around. And he said, Dad, 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 I ask you a question. How much money do you make an hour? The dad said, son, I make $50 an hour. He said, okay, Dad. He said, Dad, can I have $25? Dad thought, you little stinker. You're just asking me how much money I make an hour because you want to know if you can have some money. You know, I know what you're trying to do is you have some silly toy you want to buy that you're going to play with for a day or two, and then you're not going to do anything with that toy. No, you can't have $25. As a matter of fact, why don't you just go back to your room and think about what you just asked me? Little boy trots off to his room, and dad goes in and settles in in his study and begins to finish up some work from the day. As he's sitting there, he's getting more irritated by the question that the little boy asked. And He's just getting frustrated, like, why would he ask me that? I mean, why would he do that? But the more he asked the question, the more his heart began to soften. He said, you know, he never asked me for money. Maybe he really needs something. Maybe I should give him the $25. After a while, he got some work done, and he, he got $25 together out of his wallet. He walked down to his son's room, knocked on the door. He said, son, he said, you still awake? Yeah, Dad, I am. And he walks in, and he said, son, you know, you don't ask for money very often. He said, here's the $25 you asked for. Well, the little boy, he popped up out of bed. He was so excited. He grabbed the money from his dad. He went over to another place in his room, and, and he began to go pull out some other money. And he started counting money out. All of a sudden, he's like, a little stinker. I mean, he already had money. Why is he asking me for more money? So finally, he asked his son, son, why are you asking me for more money? He said, dad, because I finally have enough. He said, have enough for what? He said, dad, I've got $50 now. Dad, I want to know, will you come home an hour early from work tomorrow? And here's your $50 to spend an extra hour with me. The dad just began to cry, hugged his son, and realized the most important thing is actually sitting right in front of me. But it's easy to get going so many different directions that we miss the forest for the trees. We can't miss giving the gift of time. The second gift that, that David definitely missed out on was the gift of discipline. The gift of discipline. Now, David's kids, they had already resented him because they were frustrated because he was never there for them. He was always building stuff. He was always doing political stuff. He was never home. He was never spending time with his kids. And, and so when things would happen, he wouldn't do anything about it. One day, David learned that, that actually one of his other, other sons, Amon, had actually violated his stepsister, his, his half-sister, Tamar. And, and, and David was angry about it. But nowhere in Scripture do we find that he actually did anything about it. This is what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 13. When King David heard all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And now David's daughter Tamar and Absalom were sitting there waiting to see what dad was going to do. But two years went by and David, he didn't lift a finger. He didn't do anything. And finally, Absalom got so upset that he took matters into his own hand. One night, about two years later, him and his other brothers, they, they threw a party, and, and they got Amon really, really drunk. 
And then they went out and they murdered him. So now David has lost a son to, to being killed. And now Absalom has to flee and go into exile for three years out in the hills and the mountains. He loses two kids because he didn't actually take care of what he could have taken care of. And all of it could have been avoided if David simply just would have shown some discipline, set some loving boundaries for his children, and spent some time with them. Here's the thing, whether we're a parent, whether we're a child, whether we're a grandparent, no matter where we are, an aunt, uncle, sister, brother, we need to keep the family unit together and have time together. But it can be tough because sometimes our kids have these different gifts. They have these different abilities. They have these different strong wills that maybe they're not going the direction that we would love for them to go. What do we do when that happens? Let me show you what I mean. Jack Jack's got powers, right? He's got these gifts. He's got these abilities. What does we do with that? Because for some of us, maybe we have a strong-willed child. But that's a whole nother level. Maybe some of us are a strong-willed child. How do we help them with the gift that God has given to them? The Bible says that children are a gift to us, right? They're a gift, and they are. But how do we help guide them in that? Well, it's us putting together some boundaries, some loving boundaries to help get them to the place where God's going to take them. God's going to use those gifts. He's going to use the different abilities that they have to do more for him. And so as parents, how do we come around them? What's that look like? Why is it so important? The Bible says this about discipline. The Bible says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline, it drives it far from him. It says in 1324, whoever spares the rod and hates their children, hates their children, but the ones who love their children is careful to discipline them. You realize that discipline is simply just redirection. Just redirecting them the right way. Discipline is our children's friend. Now, it's not easy, but it's important for us. I think back to all the things that I put my parents through, and I say that that way for a reason. I made a lot of choices a lot of decisions that weren't easy for my parents. And I know that, but I knew every step along the way that they loved me. They loved me enough to correct me. They loved me enough to, to make sure that I was going to go the right direction. That's what love really is. It's love is saying, I, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you. And so I want to give you a couple different things of, of how do we discipline? What's that look like today in our culture and in our society? Number one is this. We need to spell out what the expectations are for the discipline. We need to spell out what the expectation is. We can't discipline somebody if they don't know what the expectation is around what they're supposed to do. Number two, we should never discipline our children for making childish mistakes. If they spill milk at the table, they weren't meaning to spill milk at the table. Is it frustrating? Absolutely it's frustrating. But should we discipline them for it? No, it's not like they did it on purpose. How about this? We should never discipline out of anger. If we're mad, we should walk away. We need to regain composure and then come back and have a conversation. We should always use the smallest amount of discipline to correct the behavior. We don't need to go to DEFCON 5, right? Let's just get the behavior corrected and move forward. We should always follow up discipline with affection. Anytime there's discipline, we need to show affection. We need to redirect and say, hey, this is what we could have done. We could have done this differently, right? and show them what they could have done, and be positive in the reinforcement as opposed to negative. 
we also need to make sure that we're on the same page as our spouse. Sometimes in, in, in marriage, this can be a, a serious source of contention because we're like not on the same page as a husband or a wife. Maybe the family's a little bit different, and it's like, man, we just don't even get along. We don't, can't come to an agreement on this. This can be a major source of contention for the relationship. And so we have to work together to figure out how do we do this together. And also, we also we should make sure that if we make a mistake when we discipline, we need to come back and own it and move forward. We're not always going to get it right. There's been times that my wife's had to go back to our kids and apologize. No, just kidding. It's me that has to do that, right? I need to go back and apologize. I did not handle that as well as I could have. I said this, and I should have said this. I did this, and that's not what I should have done. I actually should have done this. I apologize. I love you. I want the best for you. It's easy, though, to get angry and just not go down the right direction. If we mess up, we need to move forward with it. And David, he never showed any of this discipline to his kids. I mean, all of a sudden, man, Absalom is killing his brother because of what Another brother did to his other sister. And David didn't lift a finger. He didn't do anything. And now he's estranged from Absalom. And this is what the Bible says that David was going through when when he was away from his son, Absalom. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 13, it says, And David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amon's death. He could have done something, but he did nothing. He did nothing. And finally, one day, Joab, who was the ruler over all of the military army for David, he goes to David and he says, hey, would it be okay for Absalom to come home? And David says, yeah, that, that would be fine. If he wants to come home, he can come home. So David comes home thinking that he's going to meet with his dad and have a conversation with his dad, and they're going to rebuild the relationship. But you know what David did? He refused to meet with him. He wouldn't even meet with his own son. I mean, there's some crazy, wiggity-wack stuff going on in these chapters right here. It's like, why would you not do that? Why would you not spend time together with your child? And he said, no, I'm, I'm good. And David once again feels rejected. He feels like his dad doesn't care. He feels like there's nothing there for him. There's a story in, in the New Testament about a, a prodigal son who went away and took the inheritance and went and lived an awful lifestyle, lavish lifestyle, and came back with nothing. And what did that father do? He welcomed him home. And you know what? That's what Jesus does with us today too, isn't it? He welcomes us home. When we've made mistakes, when we've got deep into sin, when we went the wrong direction, Jesus says, I just want to welcome you back home. This leads us to the third mistake that David made. He could or should have showed unconditional love. Aren't you grateful that God shows us unconditional love all the time? No matter what we've said, No matter what we've done, he's always there for us. He cares for us. He wants to have that relationship with us. Even when we make the wrong choice, no matter what has happened, he's always there. He always cares. And unconditional love is simply just doing the hard thing. You see, our first priority in our families should be our family. See, I think we mix it up sometimes as as parents and even as grandparents and even as kids as we think, well, you know what? My career is the most important thing. Really, when we go to work, that's second shift. First shift is when we come home to our family. It's when we spend time with our kids and we show that unconditional love. We help them with whatever they need help with. Let me show you what I mean. Common core math. 
Who understands Common Core? Anybody here at all understand Common Core? Three of us. Okay, that's good. I'm excited for the three of us that understand. Everybody else is like, oh, I have no idea. I can't even say Common Core math, right? It makes no sense to us. But our kids need us, and we need to be there to try to help them in whatever they're going through and, and understand what their math is, understand what we, how we can actually help them and be there for our children. Unconditional love is something that we can express to them that they so desperately need. Unconditional love is saying it's not about me, it's really about him. And I'm going to serve my family any way that I possibly can. And David has this opportunity. He could have shown unconditional love, but he didn't. And so because of it, his kids began to act out. One murdered a, a brother, and now, now Absalom just wanting his dad's attention once again. And we find out later on in, in 2 Samuel that, that he goes to one of his dad's fields that his, his Joab oversees, and he lights the field on fire. And he doesn't flee when he lights the field on fire. You know what he does? He hangs out so that Joab can see him. Because he wants the ruler of his dad's army to see what he just did. You know why? Because he knew that his dad would come home and talk to him about that. So finally he burns the field down. Then David comes down and they begin to have this conversation. Not in private, but in public. And nothing was solved. Nothing was fixed. Nothing was changed. Absalom was doing everything he could just to try to have this relationship. And his dad wasn't having any of it. Now dads, I'm not trying to beat us up today because as I read through this, man, it just crushed me. This really is for all of us. Whether we're a mom, whether we're a dad, whether we're a brother or a sister, or whether we're a grandparent, for some of us in this room, there's some relationships that have been strained throughout the years. It may be with your mom or dad. Maybe you're a parent and you have an estranged child. You don't talk to them like you'd like to talk to them. You don't have that relationship that you would like to have with them. Maybe it's a grandparent. I've watched it happen in my family. It's actually ridiculous. Because we allow Satan to get a stronghold into our families that we never, ever should. Why does that happen? Oftentimes it's pride. It's hurt. It's pain. And so instead of trying to work through it, we run away from it. David, he could have made it right. But he didn't. So when Absalom comes back to town, he, he hangs out in town for the next four years and sits at the city gates and talks to people as they're coming in and coming out. You know what he said to the people as they walked in and walked out? If I was running this place, it'd be completely different. But the way my dad runs it, it's not that great. It could be so much better if I was actually running this palace this kingdom. The Bible says that Absalom was a good-looking man. He looked good. He said he got a haircut one time, and they cut off five pounds of hair. Now, that's a lot of hair. I mean, if you like hair, that's a lot of hair. He was a hairy man. He just continued to build relationships with people as they walked in and out of the city until finally one day, Absalom got exactly what he wanted. He overthrew his daddy's kingdom. And David was out, 
And Absalom was in. And that's what he thought he wanted. Because he wanted to prove to his dad that he was better. He was stronger. He could do more. He also wanted to make a point to his dad that you should have had a relationship with me. There's some crazy stuff that goes on in some of those chapters. But it got to a point where a war was coming. A war for the kingdom. Between Absalom and between David. And this, this is what is said in 2 Samuel 18. David tells them, he says, And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai. He said, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. And they go to battle. And Absalom is riding a horse through, and there's a tree up above him. And his hair, that long hair, it gets caught in a tree. And Joab comes along, and he kills him. And word goes back to David that his son Absalom has passed. What do you think he's thinking? See, there was a time that he had this vision for what his family could look like, how close they could be, the things they could do together. And now he's lost Ammon. Tamar has been violated. Absalom's dead. And he's looking back at his life. And you know he's got to be thinking, it could have been different. It should have been different guilt, and all different things begin to play in to his heart and to his life. What if David would have given the time? What if David would have given that, those boundaries and, and gave the discipline that they needed? What if he would have given unconditional love? Could it have looked differently? Absolutely. And it can for us as well. I want to encourage you today. There's still time. There's time to restore relationships. I think about what it could be like if we really gave our children some of the things that they need. He said last weekend, in, in, in almost the end of his message, he said, we've gotten so busy today giving our children experiences, but how are we doing giving them experiences with God? Can I, can I just admit today that, man, as I heard that last week, I was like, you know, I've given my children a lot of experiences. Joe and I have done everything we possibly could to help them experience life. For seven years, we did the traveling basketball thing and club basketball and club cheer and all these kind of things, giving these children all these different opportunities to experience the world and see things that we never saw until about age 35. They're experiencing all these things, but how are we doing helping them experience who God is? It's a tough question. How are we helping them with that? You know, as a church, our desire is to partner with parents. That's what we set out to do. We realize our job is not to be the main discipler in a child's life. Our job is to partner with you. It's why this weekend as you came in, you received a, a resource just like this. It says, our kids, continuing the conversation. Our heart and desire as a church is to partner together with you, to, to give you tools, to say, here's some conversations that you can have with your children. I know some of you probably do a great job with this, but for some of us, like we need something to help get us started. We can continue the conversation of what happened in our kids throughout the week. We can continue to reinforce the things that they were learning and just create that conversation more often and, and just go into it more and build that more. That's what our desire is as a church, is to go, it's not too late. We can continue to put down roots today. 
Maybe you're hearing as a grandparent, you're saying, you know what, I should have done this differently. I should have done this differently. I should have done this. Guess what? It's not too late. It's not too late. You can continue to do that with your kids. You can do it with your grandkids. I'm just curious, how many of you are here today that say, you know what, we actually moved towards Idaho or this area because our kids live in this area. Put your hands up. Anybody here today, you moved this area? Can I see hands here at the hub? I see some hands over there. Yeah, you moved here because you want to be around your kids. It's not too late. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for saying, I want to be intentional with what God has given to me. I'll close with this verse, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it known, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. You see, our past doesn't define us. Jesus does. He's the one who defines us. We can look to him and go, you know what? I have a relationship with you. Therefore, I can change my life because of you. I can't do it on my own. I can only do it in and through him. It starts with a personal relationship. And I just wonder where we're at with that today. How are you doing in an area of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? My friend, he loves you. He loves us so much that that he spread his arms wide open and he died on a cross and he paid for not just your sins, not just my sins, but the sins of the whole world. Why? So you can have a relationship with you. And all you simply have to do is accept him. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. Father, we love you and thank you for the time we spent together today and thank you for loving us the way that you do. God, I thank you for a story that's as messed up as David and Absalom because it shows us that he didn't have it all figured out, but the Bible says he was a man after your own heart. God, we don't have it all figured out, but we know you do. And we ask for your help today. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.